0: Hello, Health Investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Judy Foreman. Judy, the author of A Nation in Pain, The Global Pain Crisis, and Exercise is Medicine, was a staff writer at the Boston Globe for 23 years and a health columnist for many of those years. Her column was syndicated in national and international outlets, including the Los Angeles Times. Dallas Morning News, Baltimore Sun, and others. Judy graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Wellesley College in 1966, spent three years in the Peace Corps in Brazil, then got a master's from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. She has been a lecturer on medicine at Harvard Medical School, a fellow in medical ethics at Harvard Medical School, and a Knight Science Journalism Fellow at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She was also a senior fellow at the Schuster Institute for Investigative Journalism at Brandeis. Judy has won more than 50 journalism awards, including a 1998 George Foster Peabody Award for co writing a video documentary about a young woman dying of breast cancer, and the 2015 Science and Society Award from the National Association of Science Writers for her book, A Nation in Pain. In the episode, Judy shares how exercise impacts our heart, brain, mood, and immune system, the most fascinating facts she learned about exercise while completing research for her book, *Exercise is Medicine, the best type of exercise for optimal health, and more. Do me a favor. While you're listening, take a selfie, post it to social media, tag me at The Health Investment, and let me know your takeaways. I love seeing you in action and learning your favorite parts of each episode. All right. It's time to hear from Judy. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the health investment podcast. Here's the thing you deserve to feel amazing, but here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I wanna help you get healthy for good, without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in, enjoy the episode. Hi, Judy. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I can't wait to talk all about exercise. I've had guests who have talked, who have touched on exercise, but I talk a lot about nutrition on this podcast with my guests. So really excited to focus in on, you know, physical strength in the body and really pick your brain today.
1: Great. Well, I'm happy to be here. It's my favorite topic, actually. Oh,
0: great. Well, perfect. Uh, Can you explain for everybody what led you to become a journalist?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, Well, I guess I wrote for my town paper when I was in high school. And then I wrote for my college paper when I was in college. And then I was on my way to getting a PhD in psychology. And a friend of mine said, you know, he was working for a small paper at the Lowell Sun in northern Massachusetts. And he said, it's really fun being a journalist. And he Got me an interview, and I loved it. And I, it's it sort of a, it's been a perfect fit with my personality. I'm very extroverted, so I got to talk to a lot of people, and I like to write, so I feel very lucky to have stumbled upon journalism.
0: It's wow, been- that's that's so cool to have a career that you're really passionate about and you enjoy. You know, not everybody can say that.
1: Oh, I know. A lot of people sort of end up with a not not great fit, but I was, I'm really lucky. I'm very grateful.
0: And then what led you to specifically become a health journalist? Have you always been interested in health?
1: Yeah, looking back, I have. I almost majored in what used to be called zoology. I guess now it would be called biology in college. And then I got sidetracked by other things like anthropology. But um, I remember finding myself reading Time Magazine and flipping quickly to the medicine section. I thought, oh, I think I must be interested in this and i was already a reporter at the boston globe and they were starting up a science section in 1982 and i volunteered i have to say there was not a long line of nerds trying to volunteer for it. Um, so I, I wound up in the science section and it was, it's was it been great. I really am. I'm fascinated. My husband is a doctor, a psychiatrist, but I'm the one who really wants to know all the mechanistic things about what different chemicals are doing and why things work in the body the way they do. So it's been, it's been great.
0: Mm. And then what specifically led you to focus in on exercise?
1: Well, I've been exercising all my life and like everybody else, I n- know and knew that exercise is good for you, but I really wondered why it's so good. I really wanted to get into the, to the nitty gritty, the mechanisms of, you know, why is this so good for us? How does it work? What, 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 what actually happens in the body, you know, beyond just flexing a muscle or getting out of breath. I sort of wanted to find out what's really going on at a molecular level. So that is actually what, what, got me started on this whole project
0: Mm. so how does exercise (laughs) boost health and slow aging i mean i know that's a really loaded question and that could be the one question i ask you this entire interview but what what does kind of in simplest terms what does it do for the body
1: well, it acts at, you know, at a molecular level on essentially every organ. And it, it's beneficial for every organ. It turns out it, it has a big effect on slowing aging too. And I don't know if you want to jump right into that part. Yeah. There are specific things that researchers now know happen with aging, again, at the molecular level. And exercise, exercise basically simulates a whole bunch of chemical reactions. In the body, and these chemical reactions act in a positive way, in a good direction, on basically all the processes that we know about that influence aging. So it's, it gets very nitty gritty, but when you when you realize that there's probably a, about a thousand or more molecules that get produced during exercise, and they have very beneficial effects on everything from the brain to your blood vessels to your immune system. Obviously to your muscles. Um, it's just it's a complete body-wide phenomenon. And when you think about it in evolutionary terms, which I, I do like to do, we are really born to born to move. Um, when we were hunters and gatherers, we were not sitting in front of our screens all day. We were we had to move to eat, we had to hunt, we had to garden. Um, you know, we had to pick whatever was available to eat in terms of plants. I mean, we were not programmed genetically to sit all day. Sitting is really uh, a modern invention, and it's it's very detrimental. We were not, as I'm sure you've touched on in your nutrition programs, we were also not programmed to overeat. Um, you know, basically, it was all about starvation, not obesity in the old days. So our bodies are wired to move and to eat in a... Um, a non obese inducing way.
0: Mm, Yeah. When you say exercise, what does that mean? Even just going for a light walk or is that more strength training and heavy state or steady state cardio? What does exercise mean?
1: Uh, basically, I guess you could define exercise as intentional physical activity, but you don't have to do it on purpose. I mean, if you if you walk to work because that's your mode of, of commuting, that counts. If you're vacuuming, that counts. If you're you know walking 100 feet to take the garbage out, that counts. Obviously, that's not enough, but moving counts. Um, it, it's there's a lot of, I don't know, depending on where you want to go in the order of this interview, but there's been a lot of research lately on what they call high-intensity interval training, where you really do push yourself on purpose. it's It's not like just taking a walk to get from A to B. If you push yourself on purpose to um work really hard for a few minutes or a few seconds and then back off back and forth back and forth that those doing those intervals slow versus fast has really good effect so that's a very intentional kind of exercise and that turns out to be just about the best thing you can do for yourself but it also pays to take a long walk and even even short walks even just you know walking for 10 minutes at a time, three times a day, that'll get you that that'll get you the minimum of where you need to be. It doesn't have to be a killer amount of exercise. In fact, the, the government guidelines are 150 minutes a day of moderate intensity activity. And that boils down to like 30 minutes a day for five days. That's not that's not that much. You can get that. And moderate means you're not really panting. You can still talk while you're doing it. You can talk while you're walking. More intense exercise is obviously running where you are panting, but even just moderate activity for 30 minutes a day, that's all you really need. But so many people just don't get even that.
0: Mm-hmm. What about what's the research on strength training?
1: It too is important, um, especially as people get older. I don't know the average age of your audience but um there is something that happens with age and it's called sarcopenia which means muscle loss muscle wasting um and that that process kind of increases as we get older so strength training to build up muscles um really does help because if you're weak sooner or later you can't get out of the chair you can't get out of bed you can't carry your own groceries into the house and you know that that's a that's a setup for winding up in a nursing home so that the muscle building part the strength training is really important as well especially as we get older
0: Mm. i've read the book the blue zones i'm sure you've heard of it or read it yourself
1: Uh uh-huh i don't i don't remind me of the specifics of your question though
0: oh yeah so the blue zones are just basically places where people there's the most centenarians living in a certain area, but I just found it so fascinating when I was reading this of people in these areas, they don't purposely live in a one story home or they don't kind of try to avoid more movement as they age. It's quite the opposite. I mean, they'll walk up Hills every day, you know, picking whatever crops or carrying water, but they're just so active late into life and it's just kind of like you're describing a natural part of their day. But I find, I think in the United States, it's more even, you know, oh, I'm aging. So I definitely don't want to have a two-story home or trying to avoid even movement as much as possible or, you know, parking as close as we can to the,
1: <laughs>
0: the, the grocery store. But I love that you say, you know, it definitely should be intentional at times, especially if you're really challenging your heart and you're doing the high intensity But also just walking or working a few rows back.
1: Yeah, you know, we have structured, especially since World War II, uh, when we've sort of structured our world to be as labor non intensive as possible. You know, we now have all these machines. We're not washing our clothes by hand, we're going to supermarkets. You know, we have structured our environment to basically eliminate physical activity. And so now we have to go out of our way, we have to schedule in a walk or schedule in a trip to the gym or a trip to the swimming pool or something. And normally before that people um, were just sort of naturally getting physical activity during their day. Um, I'd like to mention one study that happened in the 50s in England, there was an epidemiologist named Jeremy Morris And he was the first one to actually show a connection between cardiac health, heart health, and physical activity. And what he does, he studied, you know, those double-decker buses in London, and he compared the drivers who sat all day with the conductors who were running up and downstairs in the double-decker buses, Hmm. collecting tickets and money from people. And the cardiac health of the, conductors was vastly superior to the guys who sat all day driving that was the first kind of uh controlled experiment that showed how beneficial physical activity is and that was a natural thing these guys weren't seeking to be conductors it was probably more prestigious to be a driver in fact but um, the people who are naturally getting more physical activity were far and above uh, healthier than those who were not. That was the first real demonstration for for scientists about how important phys- physical activity was.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And in this conversation now, I'm just even thinking with COVID and now we're even more sedentary than before because many of us aren't even Walking to our car in the morning to drive to work, and then walking around at the office. I mean, we're literally just getting from our bed, I think, to the table, back to <laughs> bed at night. I mean, you really do have to intentionally schedule in your movement. I think, and be really yeah, mindful
1: of that. That's a really good point. I mean, and the, the positive sign is though that, uh, like my husband and I tried to order a Peloton uh, way back in March at the beginning of the pandemic. And they were way backed up. So many people were ordering those, and eventually we had to cancel our order because we live in an apartment building, and um, they wouldn't let people deliver equipment like that mm-hmm. because of COVID. Now we just got an elliptical, and we ordered it in July, and the manufacturers are so behind because you know COVID has affected factories all over the world um, that we finally just got the – elliptical last week so people are really going out of their way to order these machines to help help them exercise at home obviously not everybody can afford that but um you can always walk around your house and i did that i mean i actually uh before we got these machines i was sort of jogging in the hallways of my building and then i got busted (laughs) for (laughs) doing that even though i had a mask on uh we're not supposed to do that but you know you you have to be really inventive and um just not sit all day and it's so tempting to sit and be in front of the computer or in front of the tv and it's just um it's it's i have a whole chapter in my book called sitting kills and the you're totally right that the COVID epidemic is really making making it hard for a lot of people to get exercise
0: hmm. I used to be a teacher and I was mentioning to you, I also used to live in New York City. So movement was just kind of built into my day. Right. But now that I work from home, even regardless of COVID, I just I have to actually go into my Google calendar and schedule just like other meetings. I have to schedule, go outside, or you know, go to the little gym in our building and do something for 30 minutes or I just I have to be so aware of it.
1: Yeah, no, it's good there's a gym in your building. I mean, you have to be careful that it has the right kind of HEPA filters or whatever they're called. But yeah, the other thing you mentioned weight training and, you know, weights are not that expensive and you can even use jugs of milk or jugs of water or something to lift and you can make up um, exercises, you can do yoga, there's a lot of Zoom exercises that you can do. I mean, I have a, and I have a CD of yoga that I can put on. I mean, there are ways to use the technology to sort of take a class online that still gets you to move. And it's really, really valuable during this this pandemic.
0: Mm, right, yeah, that's a good point. Um, can we talk a little bit about the specific ways that exercise benefits different part of the body, maybe starting with the heart? So what is the biggest benefit for your heart?
1: Well, the heart disease is the biggest killer of Americans. And the reason that exercise, the main reason that exercise has such a good effect on longevity, extending the lifespan is because of its effect on the heart. It does exercise does so many things on the heart. It's, it's amazing. I'm just looking up my notes here. Um, It does, it helps you um, expand your Blood vessels, so that they can carry more blood. It lowers your blood pressure to the safe zone. It improves something that they call heart rate variability, which is the ability of your heart to kind of speed up or slow down according to the demands you're putting on it. It helps very much, kind of keeping you from from getting um, uh, prediabetes, you know, I- insulin insensitivity. It helps keep that functioning, which also affects your heart. It has a good effect on all your lipids, kind of reducing high density lipoprotein, the bad HDL, the the bad kind. Um, It improves your triglycerides. It lowers your uh, markers called CRP, for C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker. And uh, one of the main things that happens happens as we get older is we have an an increased tendency to have chronic inflammation. And that underlies a lot of the diseases of later life, including diabetes and atherosclerosis and even some neurological problems. Um, The heart benefits also, it goes on and on, they increase your cardiac output, i.e. how much blood your heart can pump out with every beat. Um, it protects the lining of your blood vessels, so you're less likely to have clots and, and inflammation there. And basically it just does, it keeps the system humming, uh, the whole cardiovascular system. So it's, it's very benefit, very very beneficial for the heart. One thing that people often don't think about is um, how exercise affects the brain, and I'd love to talk about that if you're. If you're yeah,
0: I was actually just going to ask you, what about the brain?
1: Okay, it does. Exercise is the 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 coolest thing I learned um, doing the research for this book was was specifically what exercise does for the brain. Exercise um, triggers a molecule in the brain. That it's important for people to remember. The scientific name is BDNF, and that stands for Brain Derived Neurotropin and Neurotrophic Factor. And that's literally a chemical that's made in the brain that stimulates nerves. And basically, this BDNF has a nickname. It's called Miracle Grow. And when you exercise, this Miracle Grow levels of Miracle Grow go up. And these chemicals act directly on the hippocampus, which is the main uh, memory center of the brain and, the, and helps the whole emotional center of the brain, too, the limbic system. And it literally causes new nerve cells to grow. So, exercise has an absolutely direct, specific effect. Um, on on areas of the brain, this this affects two things. It affects cognition, and it affects mood. Um, the The evidence for exercise affecting cognition and for mood is is overwhelming, um, especially uh, aerobic exercise. There's a lot of uh, studies that show that people who do exercise have better memories um, and and better what they call executive function and cognitive function in general. In fact, lack of exercise is the number one modifiable risk factor for preventing Alzheimer's. There was a study in Canada, in Ontario in 2013, and it found that if everyone who is currently not active, became active at just this, these minimal levels that I was talking about, we could prevent one in every seven cases of Alzheimer's. And that was a sort of an observational study, but there have been interventional studies where people get randomized to participate in an aerobic exercise program or not. And the exercisers consistently do much better on cognitive tests. And the same chemical, BDNF, this miracle grow, um, has a tremendous effect on depression um, it's very good at preventing helping to prevent depression and also treating depression if you've already got it in fact in rats if they inject uh, just one one shot of this miracle grow into the hippocampus in rats the rats get less depressed and people sometimes wonder how you Ask a rat if it's depressed. There are these little <laughs> mazes in underwater that they ask rats to swim in. And if rats get if, if rats are depressed, they kind of have what they call learned helplessness. They give up. They can't do the maze and they just give up, which is similar to humans who are depressed. They they kind of give up. Um, so it's it, it's really, really super important for your brain to exercise. People sort of know this, you know, intuitively. People say, "Oh, I really felt bad, and then I went for a walk, and I felt a little bit better." Um, it's 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 really um, it's kind of instant gratification, you know. It's, it's if you want to prove it to yourself, just go for a walk after listening to this podcast. You'll probably feel better.
0: Yeah. What about in terms of the immune system? Can exercise help boost your immunity?
1: Absolutely. And what the, one of the main things it does is that exercise has a good effect on reducing this chronic inflammation, uh, that I was mentioning before, you know, if you cut your finger and it swells up that that's inflammation, but that goes away. Um, uh, and, you know, in a few days as the cut heals, chronic inflammation is, you know, inflammation that's happening all over the body. And that has terrible effects on insulin and really sets the stage for diabetes that, you know, clog helps clog up your Your heart, your cardiac vessels, your circulatory system. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very good for reducing that, that chronic inflammation that, uh, underlies so many things. So it's, you know, with, with chronic inflammation, it's, it's going on all the time. And one of the things that happens when people sit too much and, you know, they get kind of a a pot belly, uh, the fat tissue is actually, uh, not only sort of, ugly, <laughs> but uh, it's actually chemically active. And those fat cells produce chemicals that trigger this chronic inflammation. So exercising is good, not just directly through the immune system, but by blocking these pro-inflammatory chemicals by, by reducing the fat that, that you have around your belly, which is a metabolically active organ. So again, there's all these, all these molecular things interact with each other. And produce you know a good effect when you exercise
0: I'm wondering if you've done any research on the time of day we should exercise does that matter or it's mostly just do something
1: (laughs) it's mostly just do something it's sort of kind of whatever works for you whatever you can fit into your schedule Uh, some people like to exercise in the morning even before breakfast just to make sure it gets done and gets over with Um, the only real uh, sort of piece of advice that researchers have is not to exercise hard like 3 hours before you try to go to sleep because it can keep you awake it may you know rev you up too much um but other than that whenever you can whenever you can work it in
0: right just whatever is sustainable for you exactly um, yeah, i love that what about some of the kind of exercise pills i don't really even understand what these are Have you heard about those? And do Uh, they work? No, I have a
1: whole chapter on these. Um, Yeah, well, so basically, exercise triggers all these molecular changes in the body. So that means you could make a pill to imitate some of these molecules. And there are such things uh, that pharmaceutical companies are are working on. Um, Basically, they're not a good idea, Um, although there are some exceptions. I mean, if you, if you're paralyzed or really immobile um, it might make sense to take some of these chemicals because um, you could get potentially some of the benefits of exercise without doing it. But as I mentioned, there can be like a thousand different molecules that are produced during one bout of exercise. And if you take a pill that's only based on one of these molecules or one or two of them, you're missing the other, you know, 998. Um, And so it's really a body-wide phenomenon when you exercise and just focusing on one little tiny aspect of it is not really a good idea.
0: Mm -hmm. As you're talking, I'm just thinking of all the excuses I even come up with myself sometimes of why I can't exercise. You know, I'm too stressed or I'm too tired, but then exercise seems to be the thing that will help with all of those You know, like if I'm tired, I should exercise because I'll have more energy.
1: That's right. I mean, obviously, if you've got COVID or some, you know, or you're in the middle of chemo for cancer or even then people find it helps. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if you're really super tired, maybe not. But basically, if you just think you're tired or you can talk yourself out of it, take a walk, even if you can't jog or do something more strenuous. Just anything is better than nothing. And doing at least the minimum is, is really Is really what you should be doing. Um, There's a lot of things that, you know, for all that we know about the benefits of exercise, what what there hasn't been enough research on is how to motivate people, how to get people to change their behavior, um, which I think is maybe something you're kind of getting at. Um, You know, there's people like me who exercise all the time and, and like it, and there's people who hate it. So, but should do it. So how do you get those people to do it? And just telling them to read my book or read about the facts of what exercise does for you, that doesn't seem to be, facts don't seem to motivate people that well. What does seem to help people get exercise is to create a social situation like get a friend and say to that friend, you know, I'll meet you every morning at 9 and we'll go for a half an hour walk. Having kind of a social obligation to another person that you don't want to let down, um, then you just do it. You're signing up and you're not going to let that person down. And you have fun because you're talking, you're, you're having some social contact, a little emotional contact. And that, that seems to help people a lot. So exercise classes, group exercise, really helps people stay with it. That's obviously harder during COVID. You can't really, a lot of gyms are closed. But you can walk with a, another non-infected person or, mm-hmm. you know, do a Zoom class or something with other people, at least on the TV screen.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I used to belong to something called ClassPass in New York City, and you basically subscribed. You paid for this program by the month, and then you got to try all these different classes, which was really fun because you had a lot of variety, but the real clincher for me was that if you signed up for one, you got charged if you canceled. Ah. So that was very motivating for me. So I would sign up on a Sunday for three classes or whatever throughout the week. And then I wouldn't be able to cancel because I'd be penalized monetarily. So it's kind of, you know, whatever works for you. I think you've got to yeah, figure that's out great. that for me was motivating. But, you know, for someone else, it could be something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always, to your point, I always say, you have to find things you at least don't hate. You may not always be jumping up and down so excited to exercise, but it's not gonna be sustainable probably if you're doing something or some latest trend that everybody else loves and you hate it. You have to really figure out what works for you and what is somewhat enjoyable, I think.
1: Yes, I mean, one of my favorite exercise uh, scientists is Steve Blair and he, he gets asked all the time. In fact, I've asked him multiple times over the years, What's the best exercise? And his answer is always the one that you'll do. Uh, you know, it's, you know, I I like swimming, but you know, if you didn't like swimming, swimming would be agony. You'd be afraid you'd drown. You would feel clumsy in the water. You know, it's it's got to be something that you enjoy at least minimally that you or you can talk yourself into the fact that you can enjoy it. Um, right.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on just kind of some common beliefs I think people have. So I'll see people saying something like, if I exercise, I can eat whatever I want. Ah, What would yes. you say to that?
1: Yes, that is a huge one. Uh, that unfortunately is not true. <laughs> Basically, the rule is calories in, calories out. And um, to lose weight, you, you could lose weight by exercise, without changing your diet, but you'd have to do a lot more exercise than you probably think. I mean, you know if you're if you're taking a walk for half an hour, you might think you've burned up four or five hundred calories. chances are you've burned hundred fifty maybe two hundred um, and then you have a five hundred calorie seven hundred calorie cookie, you're not getting anywhere even though you think you deserve the reward um, it's, it's just the math that gets you because basically we tend to underestimate how many calories we're consuming and overestimate how many calories we're burning up in exercise. So unfortunately you have to really diet for weight control and exercise for fitness. And you know, obviously, you know, if you burn up 250 calories a day with your minimal exercise, that that's a good benefit, but it's not going to counteract a piece of pie for dessert. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it'll, it'll counteract a small sin, not a large sin. <laughs> so
0: Right. What about, I've also seen people saying that they're too old for strength training or for high intensity workouts. What would you say to that?
1: Oh, not true. Uh, it's also never too late to start exercising. People sort of think, well, I'm 50 or I'm 60 or I'm 80. Uh, no, not true. Exercise can benefit you at any age. In fact, the older you get, you, you can make the argument that it's more important. The strength training in particular is very important as you get older. Um, being able to get out of a chair and walk to the bathroom. Um, you know If you can't do that, uh, you can end up in a nursing home. I, one of the exercise scientists that I visited up at McMaster University in Canada, uh, was demonstrating just kind of, uh, squats. Um, and he said, you know, I make my 80 year old mother do this every day so she doesn't end up in a nursing home. I mean, weak muscle weakness can really, um, affect your life tremendously in a very negative way. As for high intensity exercise, as you get older, I mean, it's always a good idea to check with your doctor before something like that. and I really do strongly ex, you know, emphasize and encourage high intensity exercise, but it does make sense to make sure your, your heart is okay before you start doing that. that. That's not a big deal. You know, if you're seeing your doctor regularly or call the doctor up and he or she will tell you what your, what your last physical showed and whether it's safe for you to do that. But even if you can't do the high intensity stuff, you can do the moderate intensity, You, know, you can and should. Do the moderate intensity. In fact, there's um, something that I do talk about a little bit in the book is uh, a move by some doctors to think of fitness as one of the vital signs. You know, the vital signs, they measure your temperature and your blood pressure and your respiration rate and things like that. Fitness really should be a vital sign, something that every doctor measures at every uh, medical visit that you go to, or at least once a year for your annual physical. And you know, you don't have to have a fancy gym to measure that, although that's great. But they can measure how fast you can walk a hundred yards, you know, and how steady you are on your feet, and how good your gait is or isn't. Um, that general fitness uh, measure is super important for predicting your future health and, and your longevity. And that would not be hard to incorporate into. Uh, regular medical exams, Uh, not that hard and very important to do.
0: Hmm. You mentioned that BDNF was one of the kind of coolest things you learned while researching for the book, and I was wondering, is there anything that you believed to be true about exercise before doing your research and then you came to think differently about it after writing the book?
1: Ah, interesting. Well, I sort of always wondered about energy levels. And energy is actually something, energy is a chemical. Um, it's called uh, ATP, adenosine triphosphate. It's really a molecule. And I just thought of energy as some kind of subjective feeling. Um, but it's really a molecule that is made in the mitochondria of our cells. Mitochondria are these little Factories inside cells that take in the oxygen that we breathe, the food that we eat, and combine them into this molecule called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And one of the other coolest things I learned um, doing this, the research for this book, is that exercise dramatically increases the number of mitochondria in our cells. Um, And it's uh, this was discovered like in the mid '60s. Um A scientist named John Hollisey actually looked at the cells of rats and found that the cells in rats that ran on little treadmills in their cages had many more mitochondria in their cells than rats that didn't run. This only happened if the if the rats were running pretty hard, not just kind of lounging along um and then, in the about twenty years ago, a Harvard scientist named Bruce Spiegelman discovered a chemical that you don't have to remember the name of, but it's called PGC one alpha. And this, this little chemical coordinates uh, various chemical reactions inside cells that creates new mitochondria. It's called mitochondrial biogenesis. And when, when you exercise, you pump out this chemical PGC one alpha and it makes your body make more mitochondria. Interestingly, that only happens in the muscles that you use. So if you just pedal the bike with one leg for a while, that leg would, the cells, the muscle cells in that leg would have a lot more mitochondria than the muscle cells in the other leg. Um, Because this whole process of making new mitochondria is stimulated by the muscles that are contracting. So it's it's very specific, but it's really cool that you can actually make your body create more energy by exercising. And that was a very cool thing that I discovered
0: that oh. is incredible yeah I love that and then it also makes me think how important it is to kind of target different parts of your body yeah so that you're creating mitochondria in all parts not just one leg or exactly
1: yes you don't really want to be lopsided <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> hopefully not what about you kind of touched on you've mentioned lifespan and health span, but can exercise really extend both? Have they yes.
1: shown? Okay. Exercise can extend both. And very powerfully, um, I have a, a talk that I give and it's it's very dramatic. Exercise can extend the health span, which is almost the most important, and the lifespan. And it reduces your risk of all cause mortality. By about a third, by about 33%. And it also can, can increase your health span by about the same, by about 33, 35%. That's a very big effect in medicine. I mean, doctors are often happy if they can nudge something a little bit, 10 or 20%. But exercise has a very powerful effect. Um, and it's, um, it's just, you know, I've been a medical writer for many, many years, and it's wonderful to write about something that where all the data lines up in one direction. You know, usually it's on the one hand, on the other hand, will this vaccine work? Maybe yes, maybe no. With exercise, the data really line up in a favorable direction very, very clearly. There's there's no ambiguity about how, how effective it is.
0: Real quick, I wanna take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered thrivemarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Mm, Right. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Are there any questions you still have about exercise that you're looking more into or nude studies that have come out or anything kind of cutting edge?
1: Well, it's all pretty cutting edge um, in terms of the actual science. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff when you mentioned the exercise pills, the pills that that mimic exercise. I mean, there's some very good science behind those, and certainly a lot of economic incentive to make those. But um, you know, that's not a good idea for um, for people in general. But that is an interesting area of research. Um, beyond that, I think the interesting area of research is. How to get people to take in this knowledge and actually get exercise? I mean, how do you get 300 million Americans to get off their rear ends and exercise? I mean, we would really cut down on heart disease, we would cut down on diabetes, we'd cut down on depression, uh, we'd save the healthcare system a ton of money. People would be healthier until until it's sort of very close to the end of their lives. All of this makes total sense. How do you get the population to do it? That's sort of where where the rubber meets the road that's what we haven't figured out how to do. How do you get this country that is with people overeating and under moving um, to get off their rear ends and eat less and get healthier that's that's the really big remaining research question
0: mm-hmm. I know I used to have insurance in New York, I forget what it was, but I would get some type of reimbursement if I could prove that I had gone to a gym a certain number of times per month or whatever. I mean, I do feel there are different kind of initiatives out there and people trying to do that. But I think that's, again, I think that's such a good point you bring up. It's so tough to motivate people and especially behavior change is one of the toughest things.
1: Yeah, look how hard it has been to get people to stop smoking. I mean, yeah. it took a lot of lawsuits <laughs> and a lot of holding the the tobacco companies really accountable uh, for the deaths that they caused. Um, that's a little different with exercise. I'm not quite sure who you would sue. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I did, I don't know. Did the that incentive of you know getting insurance benefits for exercising did that work for you?
0: For me, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed getting some cash back every, every so often and it kind of gamified it in a way too, I think, because it yeah. was, you had this goal and you had to get somebody at the gym to sign off for it. And I don't know, it made it kind of seem bigger than me and something I was working towards. Yeah. Instead of just me on my own trying to motivate myself. Yeah. Um, But yeah i don't know i think i think that is i think it's tough (laughs) it's tough to do
1: yeah and i think you know we you know in the last few years um like physical education programs tend to be one of the first things that school schools cut if they're having budget problems you know gym and the arts always get cut and that seems that seems like a shame and you know people drive their kids to school. I mean, I I used to walk a mile to school each way and nobody thought anything of it. That was normal. And now I don't know how long kids walk to school. I I suspect not nearly that long. I mean, exercise is getting increasingly edged out of our what we call our normal lives. And that, that just wasn't true for a long time.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I think now kids walk from the bus or the car into the school building and then... Back to the bus or the car, you know, it's I rarely see kids maybe in New York City or different places, but walking to school. That's, that's another good point. And I think too, I remember in school, there were all these tests we had to do the run the mile or yeah. do the crunches or whatever the what was it like The presidential Oh, fitness,
1: Something. Was that Eisenhower um, or something? I forget what Maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know why my school us do that. But uh, yeah, I just think I don't even know, like you said, if they're crowding out physical education. That's also sending a message, you know, that it's yeah. not important to, you know, sitting in a desk longer and learning more from books is more important than moving your body. I mean, it's a pretty terrible message.
1: It is a terrible message. It is a terrible message. I mean, I, and I don't know how, I mean, my kids and grandkids like like sports, but what if you don't, you know, <laughs> what if it's not in your little cultural bubble that it makes it even harder?
0: Yeah. Well, I also think maybe a lot of people are just misinformed and think that exercise has to be this 45 minute sweaty gym session. I mean, I think even just conversations like this, where you're breaking it down so practically and saying the best exercise is the one you'll do, right? And it doesn't always have to be 45 minutes. It can be a 10-minute walk around the block. Just reframing it maybe for people could help a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, the data suggests that you know you're supposed to get 30 minutes a day, five days a week of moderate exercise. I mean, you can break that down into three 10-minute sections. You know, that's not that hard to do. It, mm-hmm. it, it really isn't, um, and you can time yourself. You can just sing songs to yourself or something if you're walking around your house or your apartment. Um, it, it's really it's more doable than most people think, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be unpleasant. I think um, people think exercise is unpleasant, but you know all the stuff we've been talking about about BDNF and and this miracle grow and and depression. People mostly feel better. After they exercise, even if they have to sort of nudge themselves to do it, they usually feel better afterwards. Um, And interestingly, just a a side point before we run out of time people used to think that exercise uh, improved mood because of endorphins, you know, those uh, natural body made chemicals that are sort of like opioids. It's actually marijuana like substances, it's endocannabinoids. When we exercise, it triggers the release of these marijuana-like substances in our own bodies. You know, nobody's smoking anything, and but they make you feel good. Um, so it's it's a, it's a way to get a natural high. People call it the runner's high, but obviously it's it's not just runners. It's swimmers or walkers or soccer players or whatever. Um, people do feel better. It improves mood. There's just unequivocal evidence of that. So even if you don't think you're doing it for your Bodily health for your mental health, and that you know that's just as important.
0: Yeah! Wow, that's that's fascinating. Well, I'm so grateful for everything you've shared and um, for just spending time with me today. The last question I ask each of my guests is based on the title of the podcast, and it's in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment?
1: It means investing in yourself. You could think of it as a form of healthy self-love, um, taking yourself seriously, that you deserve to be healthy and feel good. And exercise is practically a guaranteed way to get that.
0: Yeah, the, I love the title of your book, Exercise is Medicine.
1: Thank
0: um, you. And I think the way you've described it, it is exactly that. It's just probably one of the most medicinal things we can do, I think, for our health and our body.
1: That's right. It really is. It's it's the exercise fix. It's absolutely true. And it's available to just about everyone. You know, if you're, if you have a broken leg, you can exercise using the other leg. I mean, you can use whatever, whatever body parts you can still move can get you exercise.
0: Mm. Well, I'll definitely put a link to your book in the show notes, but where else can listeners follow and find you?
1: Uh, My website, judyforeman.com, which is J-U-D-Y-F-O-R-E-M-A-N dot com. Don't forget the E. And also Amazon. You can just Google or, you know, go to Amazon and get the book. That's probably the simplest and easiest way.
0: Awesome. And then are you active on social media at all?
1: I am uh, Facebook and Twitter and occasionally Instagram and things.
0: Okay, great. Uh, I'll put links to those accounts as well.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing all of your knowledge and your time again. And I just had a great time talking to you and look forward to staying connected.
1: I had a good time too. Thank you.
0: Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs.